Hello and welcome to the Everyday Hair Colorist, podcast number two. My special guest today is Zoe Irwin, hair icon, trend forecaster, and all-round fascinating woman. Welcome, Zoe. Hey, it's good to be here. It's good to have you, it really is. So for those of you who don't know, Zoe's a multi-award-winning hairdresser, uh, super talented, she gets fantastic press, and what's really interesting about her is she's super commercial, loved by beauty editors. How do you feel about that, Zoe? I feel really red. If you could see me now, I'd be quite pink. But I guess pink can be a commercial colour, so maybe I kind of suit the episode. <laughs> but thank you. Um, I do like to do many different things. And um, for me, working with beauty editors is really important to to what I do as a colourist because it gives me so many insights into how women want their hair and all the things that they have around them and influence their look. So, yeah, I love it. That's the point, isn't it? I think that's so important. I think that to be able to communicate and listen to what women want rather than producing work that really isn't going to go down on the high street, the main street, or in salons. People aren't going to be asking for it. What you actually do is produce work that people really want. I've always been very proud to do what's called commercial hair colour. I think that part of me that's wanted to be highly creative, perhaps using, you know, seven different colours that may be seasonal on one head just for my own creativity I've done that on my own in photographic shoots and in fashion shows and in other kind of creative pursuits so I feel that when the client comes into me it's always just about what is going to make her feel her best you know be that kind of extra hot or maybe more secure for her new role um, many, many different things, but I very much um, differentiated the, the two. And I think that's what's been my difference from, from some hairdressers that perhaps want to be creative and so are taking all of this on to Mrs. Jones at 10am on a Monday morning. I love that analogy. And I also love the fact that you've been able to personally break that down with the creative sort of hairdressy aspect of it and also the creative in salon piece and you can separate those and it sits really comfortably with you and that you found an avenue to do both but the bit I wanted to sort of focus on and what this podcast is about is the salon piece it's the Mrs Jones at 10am how do you think um how do you think we can engage clients I like to engage my clients with an ongoing hair colour journey. And I really look at their wardrobe and what time of year it is and, you know, where that hair colour is going to... It's going to take them that season. So, you know, perhaps if it's summer, I'm looking at how many weddings she's going to, the palette of clothes that she's wearing, you know, and how I can kind of enhance that. Uh, And then also... You know, the thing is about fashion is even, you know, my mother who may be in her 80s will unknowingly be picking up the colour of the season when she goes to Marks and Spencer's and renews her winter coat. And so it's something that I felt that 
that um, the clients aren't always aware of. They might just be going to renew something and it would be a certain shade. But I've always spoken kind of in these terms. So, you know, I am always looking at what she's wearing, but always moving it forward in small ways that will kind of nod to the season, really. So it's that sort of Devil Wears Prada moment, isn't it, when the, about the blue sweater at Filene's basement and how it had filtered down. And unwittingly, clients pick all that up but don't actually have a clear idea of where it comes from sometimes. No, they don't. And, and that will also be within... I talk about makeup a lot as well to, to go with those colours. But, you know, we're talking a brunette tone, then it might be cooler one season, warmer another... And it's something that I talk to my clients a lot about. And I, and I think they come to me for that, for the fact that the colour will always be gentle and very, very soft, but it will move gently with the times. That sounds absolutely beautiful. So Zoe, episode one and this podcast really came about because I was kind of frustrated by people not turning up for appointments, for consultations. I felt like the message was very mixed in the UK, that we're in the UK, we're not particularly savvy sometimes about charging for our time. And I also felt that the everyday hair colorist that works on the high street, main street in a village or, you know, even in a big salon group, They don't always have a voice, and I wanted to have a commercial voice on this show. So consultations are super important to me. So Zoe, a couple of quick-fire questions for you, and then maybe you want to explain that afterwards for me, your answers. So do you charge for consultations? Yes, I do. Do consultations have value? I think huge value. Do hairdressers in the UK underestimate themselves? Absolutely. Discuss. I feel the consultation is super important to me with my clients um, and future clients simply to be respectful to all of my other clients that day because I, whenever I do not do a consultation, often a client will perhaps ask for balayage and then decide afterwards she wanted something more rooty or something that... Um, recently, actually, a couple of weeks ago, I did a colour without consultation and I very much did everything we discussed. And when her hair was finished, she decided that actually she wanted to be something, you know, much, much blonder, which I feel that in the consultation, if it had, we'd had the time, I could have got more into that. You could have nailed it. I could have nailed yeah. it much more and got to know her, that actually she was one of those clients that's saying one thing, but I really think she meant another. Yes. So because I then really care, on that day, I chose to then take her way lighter, which in hindsight did compromise my other clients who had to wait longer. You know, perhaps I had to blow dry their hair quicker. And so it's more for respect for my day, really. Um, she, you know, very much wanted to be suddenly blonder. And I think if I had had that time in a consultation with her to... You know, I, I like to look at photographs from 10 years ago. You know, when did you feel your hottest? When did you feel your most confident? You know, I really like to go through the history of colour 
with with my clients and I ask them to bring me in photographs and and I have a lot of boards that I go through as well and I think it's important to have the time for that I think it's so important and I think that that's where it all goes wrong because when you look at um when I'm out educating and when I'm talking to other hairdressers other colorists and they they all panic at this managing the expectation piece but so many of them aren't allowed or don't do the consult and within that consult I always feel that you can you you can nail it because you can say well we can get there today or we can get there your next visit or it's the journey depending on what they're going for and without it I think there's real problems for us all as you've just spoken to so charging why do you think charging for a consult is so important I feel that charging for a consult is extremely important to add the value to it. It's, um, I mean, it is your time and your time is what people pay for all day. So Absolutely. why should a consultation be any different? I also feel that if you make that consultation really interesting and, and spectacular and yeah, that you know, I like to think that it is something that is personal to my style and, mm-hmm. and what they've come to me for. And I don't want to disappoint. So I definitely give that a lot of my time. That might be a 45-minute consultation where we actually are going through the seasonal colours and what palette you know, of dresses she's worn or whether she's particularly into floral or you know, all sorts of different things. And so... That is my time and I, you know, very much in the beauty world, which I also go to many appointments with, I would expect to pay for that with any other appointment, whether it's about my skin or with, for example, a personal trainer. It's just, you know, I don't see why hairdressers shouldn't charge. That's Well, absolutely. And that's the point of contention, isn't it? In every other industry that's service related, it seems like if you do a consult, if you don't turn up, you pay all of that yet we in this industry as a whole just say oh okay and go and sort of sit down for half an hour when we could have filled that time with something else and there's no charge I find it I find it quite depressing that we're sort of at this point in our industry and but you know I feel it's how you value yourself Mm. and sometimes the only way other people will value you is if you value yourself and so I would always ask the whole team to charge for that but I also think it's working a bit more on it making the consultation amazing so I love this I love this idea of making the consultation super special and super important and bespoke to the person that sat in front of you which is an ideal I have some sort of little set patterns that I work to and then shape it around the person that's in front of me and key questions. And because it's very emotional, personal time for, and also a very sensitive time for a woman to be sat in the chair talking about what she likes and dislikes about her and, and when she feels her best and when she doesn't feel her best. So you charge for your consult. Is it redeemable against their appointment or is it a separate charge completely? It's redeemable against their appointment. Oh, I love the fact that you and I are on the same page all the time. Except probably your consultations are more interesting than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> no, no, of course they're not. I mean, everybody, I believe you go to a particular hairdresser for the vibe that they have. Absolutely. And um, I think there's many tools that you can bring into that consultation in for your to be able to almost value it more. So, for example, I would do 
a three-colour journey. So I would say, like, this time we weren't going to do this. Second appointment, this is what I'd love to add. And third appointment, by then we're perhaps being autumn. And so I talk about it as a three-appointment stage so that it very much feels like it's in the going into the future. And also that I would write down and I would give them top kind of ideas from each of those appointments so you go away with something that's printed that's lovely and you might I also find this really I'm very into taking photographs of my clients as they come in and you know I can do that with a ring light it can look very flattering and so that they can kind of see their journey as well and that's really quite simple to do now with obviously all the modern technology I think it's really simple to do I think a lot of people don't think about it necessarily but I love the fact that we're talking journeys with clients in this age where it seems like everyone's saying oh they want it now people want a change right away it's immediate sort of in that digital era that that people aren't buying into that when they come to see you and they're certainly not buying into it when they come to see me because I've just like some of it just isn't achievable commercially in an appointment and also one's got to think about the integrity of the hair as well so I love the fact that you're talking the journey and that obviously it's well received by clients. I think it's really important what you've just touched on is the fact that often when a client comes in, she perhaps may have two inches of roots, but the other 17, 18 inches is actually somebody else's colour. Absolutely. Which isn't of your style. And so in order to kind of perhaps glaze that or darken it or lighten it, you're still doing that on another base, which isn't your own. And I really talk about that within a haircut or within a colour and say, well, when it becomes more like your hair with my view on it, you know, it will be in the future. And we talk about how we were going to get it there because it's very hard to completely turn around a colour in one appointment, especially if you're darkening some areas you know there's only so much perhaps she doesn't want warmth in in that and so therefore you know technically it's what you're able to do and I think it's really showing the client how much you value the service with the integrity of her hair but also you know what is realistically possible. I love that what is realistically possible because so many of people that are coming in at this sort of expectation is unrealistic and it's about toning that down and sort of saying to them in very sort of clear sort of caring language you know I want to look after you I want to work with you this is where I want to take you I think that's very eloquent beautiful so Back to you, Zoe. This is so much fun, actually, with you. And um, But it's a bit giggly, isn't it? We have to keep stopping to, so we don't laugh at each other. And also, I'm trying not to look at you because I'm so used to looking at you and laughing. I don't know what to make <laughs> of that at all. But anyway, <laughs> here we go. So you touched on something that has been really resonating with me lately. And as you know, I've been through this journey of sort of finding my way back to me again and sort of going off and being so fed up with what I looked like and how I was feeling and, and went away and did my detox and back at the gym and feeling so much better. But it's about feeling hot. And you talked about when a client comes into you and when she felt her hottest. And I think that when we're talking about clients in their late 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, possibly 70s too, um, there is that point where you go through life and suddenly you're no longer relevant or you're no longer noticed. 
And you, you just really touched on it. And I'd like to dig a little bit deeper with you. And that is when a client felt our hottest. What does that look like? I, I approach with photographs. I ask for clients to bring me in um, a variety of images of when they felt confident, when they felt hot. Um, do you actually times. say hot to them? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I, I say a lot of words which maybe other hairdressers don't. I think it's just I feel like I can. Right. And also I, I very much mean I use my, my age, you know, the fact that um, I'm in my 50s and have definitely gone through these these different times in my life. Yes. And I use that in quite a confident way as if I'm able to talk about things. You know, I feel like I've gone through a lot of things and I talk about breakup hair and, you know, new you hair or that time that you just had that great summer. You know, all these different things. I really do everything on emotion because I think to me that's the most important. So do you think then being like myself over 40 in our 50s, do you think that gives us uh, an added oomph when talking to women in that age group? I feel like it gives me um, an added oomph because I actually do know how it feels. And so I don't think I could have confidently talked about many of these things, be it like hair thinning or lacklustre within hair or just the different emotions that you're going through. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I've gone through them simply because of my age, I very much use that when I talk to people, just as I would as if I was talking to a friend. So it's empowering to you and the client. Absolutely. There's a confidence. People come to me for that advice um, because I can honestly say, well, I've had those times when I felt like this and or what have you, and and really sort of pinpointing things to help. You know, I talk a lot about nutrition, um, different, you know, things like why don't we put your jewellery back on? You know, when's the last time you wore all your jewellery? And all these different things that I might be talking. For example, I seem to be doing lots of clients where I'm looking at their ears as I'm doing their colour consultation and talking about perhaps adding a rose gold or adding silver or, you know, different metals or all different things. I I actually talk about everything. Right. But very much within the relationship to their hair colour. I talk a lot about how the jaw and the neck changes from 40 to 50. Like, I talk a lot about it. And it does, though, doesn't it? It really does. does. And often taking the hair, like, very, very blonde around those areas can have the effect of widening you know suddenly you you've lost very strong contours so because I'm talking about that and because I am older I feel like they're not looking at me saying well how does she know what it's like to suddenly use your jawline and I think it was till I was 50 that I didn't realize what it was like to lose my jawline and that is what I would say confidently to older hairdressers out there I do feel like you know we all have a value in a consultation yes Yes, absolutely. And that whole feeling that happens to you as you get older, I mean, we've talked about this anyway. I just love that moment when you just said, when was the last time you put all your jewellery on? Because there was a moment when I just wore my wedding band and had nothing else on because I just was in this dark place. And then suddenly I've got everything out at the moment and having a good time and I feel much more confident. Um, fascinating. So 
Obviously, our audience is of mixed ages, as is our industry, isn't it? I mean, in fact, it's quite a youth-centred industry. But if we're going to keep attracting and maintaining clients in their 30s, 40s and 50s who really spend a lot of money on their hair, and if we're going to be able to talk to them in ways in which you talk to your clients, you know, about jawlines, about skin changing and all of those things really interesting things. What would your advice be to your 30-year-old self? I feel like, I don't know how I would talk to the 30-year-old Zoe. I think I'd ask, get her to ask her manager and education team to spend more time with her, you know, because I think that what's where this could change in a massive way is right. in education. And I feel that if a whole, you know, evening or day is spent teaching somebody how to cut a line in a one length or, you know, doing balayage, then just as much time, if not more, should be on how to go through all of those things. Because I think that you need so much knowledge. I mean, one of the most interesting exercises I ever did with a team, which was my team at the time, was to spend a whole day on face shapes. And I took people that everyone knew, you know, certain actresses. Yes. And I researched it and took out 10 images of their hair in, you know, with different colours and with different shapes and really taught the team on how to recognise, you know, what is an oval-shaped face, what is a square-shaped face, what does warm hair even look like to everybody. It's really interesting taking a colour and saying to everyone, how would you describe this colour in a group and finding that that's very different and making them realise that they're like clients. So I think my answer would be in really taking this very seriously because it's so important and spending model nights with the whole team talking about all of these, you know, educating in all of these different things. I've always aligned beauty. So to align the beauty world with the hair world, to me, has been so informative and transforming for the team that I'm with. And so I would bring somebody in, because that's what I love to do, who came to talk about the ageing of someone's face. You know, I definitely would bring in a doctor to come and talk to the team about what happens to jawlines and what happens to, so that they really, because you don't want to just bring into a conversation and say, oh, it's your jawline, you need to be very well clued up in that. I mean, another exercise that I did that worked really well is everybody looked at um, the magazines for the month in the beauty and we spoke to each other about what that was spoken what was spoken about that month and then you really learn about necks and eyes and yes. jawlines you get the right language yes i think it is a language thing isn't it first and foremost yeah and there's also there has to be a comfort zone in the for people to be able to talk freely about these things which is the knowledge that those kind of events bring but our industry is so young you can often see them sort of giggling at the older hairdressers and you know, I mean, it's just a, it's like, oh God, there's, I always get called granddad at work. Do you know what I mean? Which is kind of funny because I could be their granddad, but at the other time it's like, oh, wince. Do you know what I mean? I still want to be relevant. And there's that line of, of sort of understanding of people who are older. And I think that maybe we should all come together a little bit more and like you say, spend more time together and talk about how it feels to be older. 
I feel like it needs a mix, don't you? Mm, yeah. Like I feel like it does need to be the older stylist and it also really needs to be the younger stylist because the viewpoint changes. So even though the hair might feel like we're going back to a 60s creamy blonde, you kind of also need someone's like what I call the 2019 lens on it. So yes. I need to see how the younger stylist feels. I feel like it's a conversation. Yes. Um, I think that empowering a hairdresser is through the knowledge of it. It absolutely always has been. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that there's also, I'm interested in what you've just said, because I think that's important also. How to make that 50-year-old also do something that, you know, perhaps is the hair that she loved at 30, but on a different slightly different skin tone on a different jawline like that's an art like how to be cool like modern but appropriate yes Yes, absolutely because you can't be the same hairdresser at 50 that you were at 30 otherwise you just end up being an old hairdresser yeah absolutely but and also there's a client yes you know perhaps I can't have the blondes that I had when I was 30 because I've changed so it's like I mean, they're actually, there's so much to it. I'm going to stop and not want that one night on consultation. I'm going to do a whole month on it. I think we should so run some events it. on this one. I think this yeah. is fantastic because you don't really hear these kind of conversations commercially. And I think that it's fascinating to sit and talk with you about this. And I'm surprised we've not covered this more personally. And I also feel that if you don't get that conversation right with the client, she could walk out with something that's just not right for her and she'll never come back. Or she could be deeply offended. And tell 10 people. And tell 10 people. Which they always do if they're not happy to. There's never one. It's never like their mate Jane. It's always everyone at the golf club or the tennis club. Well, and of course now we've got all the review sites where somebody could write something because we have touched them in a way that didn't feel good to them and sent them out feeling lousy. So... I think there's so much to it. I think I've always brought makeup artists in um, to teach the team. It's really important for people to talk, to also think about colour everywhere. And I found that the more that I educated on perhaps the colour of a blusher or a contour, then they've really got hair colour as well. So it's mainly just opening up the young hairdresser's eyes yes. to what something is, you know, be that a square jawline or be that uh, kind of over red complexion. Because, uh, you know, you could do the most beautiful hair colour, but if it doesn't suit the the eye colour or the skin tone, then it's never going to look beautiful, is it? No, never, never. Because the wear, it just doesn't wear well with the person. Lovely. So trends. So trends are your thing. You're a trend forecaster, which I've always found super interesting about you. Then you go out and do all this stuff. But your trends are always commercial which is why they speak to me and are always so pretty. It's funny because we're talking about working with what's with us in front of us as as a client and we're talking commercially and we've sort of spoken about the fact that people don't always recognise that they're picking up trends that have filtered down to them. Talk to me about your latest trend that you've just done. So my... Trends this year that I'm focused on the most is the overall thing is called haze glazing. Yes. And I felt like I wanted to design something within um, the Weller colour palettes 
that really helped a hairdresser take a client to the next season, to the season that I knew was coming, which was very much about the 1970s. Yes. I knew that the, I measure what's called a pickup, which is how, you know, there might be three or four big colour trends, but the trend will never work unless the market reacts to it. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm gauging reaction. So gauging reaction and looking at the tones that were coming in, the kind of mustards, the terracotta, the much warmer tones, I looked at the colours and thought, what will work with this? I realised that there's a big place in the market for colour to be spoken about with beautiful names, you know, in the way they are with makeup. Yes. And so I identified five tones and then with all of those tones, I wanted there to be what I've called um, haze glazing, which is a glaze that goes on an illuminated piece of hair, you know, hair that's been lightened. So what people call toners a lot, I call them glazes. And I knew that we were moving away from the cooler, smokier greys or flatter pinks into something that was warmer. So Thank I goodness to for make... that, though. I mean, <laughs> talk about everyone tired of somebody coming in and wanting sort of ashy, ashy, ashy. Do you think that, sorry to interrupt you as well, do you think that, the Pantone colour, so the living coral, do you think that was a huge influence on this trend as well? Do you think do you think that follows through? I feel like what living coral did is open up that idea of a warmer coral yes. tone to the market. Yes. And it's funny, sometimes when a new colour comes along, it almost jars you at mm. the beginning and you can't imagine it. And then it's something that you take on on a subconscious level. So you might be flicking through like the Sunday Times style and see an editorial, not really register it, but it kind of goes into your mind. And I think that Pantene is so important because it's so huge. Yes. And it's also how the market will then react to that. It's almost like a confirmation of a trend, I think, Pantone. And so I knew that the warmer tones would feel easier towards the end of the year and I could see I think it's important to give the hairdressers a future to look at and then to play with their own tones brilliant that's nice what I thought before we carry on talking about this this haze glazing is that you said two things that spoke to me immediately and one of them I know for sure is the fact that if we communicate in a language that is too technical it turns clients off but if we engage them in a language that is, they understand, therefore makeup, food, f- feelings, fabrics, then it's super, it's super engaging and they understand it and they can see it and they can suddenly feel it. And the other piece that you spoke to was the fact that haze glazing, not toning, which I hate the word tone anyway, over pre-lightened hair. And of course... At this moment in time, we are using a lot of pre-lightener in our looks and we are glazing. Um, and it's, 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 they go hand in hand. It's not one or the other. The, you can't leave st- hair in just a pre-lightened state generally because all you've got is raw undercoat. So it's lovely to put a glaze on it. So sorry to interrupt you, but let's go back. You're just confirming what I was thinking. Go back to the colours and all of that. 
I think we're at a place, I, I love what you're saying, because I think that we have moved to a place where illuminated light and pieces through hair is the norm, the new norm. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you're moving a colour trend along, it's important to, to work with what is there at the moment. You know, you can't suddenly come along and say, well, actually, it's all going to be like this. And it's so different because it doesn't work. And if you look in fashion, you know, a designer might introduce something in a small way. Yes. And, you know, maybe there's one sneaker that's over, you know, oversized. And then three seasons later, the, you know, many designers will be picking up on that. And it's the same for hair color. So I knew that to be successful, I had to include illumination. But I wanted to include it with, 2019-20 lens and that to me very much came from the 70s so I looked at how in the 1970s the images are typically very soft focus and the light was they tended to use the evening lights like the last haze like and dusk really dusk light which is very warm and I saw how that cast a very soft but definitely warm glow on people's hair so I use that to communicate so when I stood in front of 50 beauty editors and and different freelance writers I used images of actresses from that time and and that really helped me because I was trying to communicate something that because it's hard sometimes to communicate a new trend because <laughs> there's yes. nothing that you can pull pull on so I knew that it, I needed to use that illumination uh, the hardest thing, actually, was that typically when you start to add a lot of warmth to illuminated pieces, they often feel like they're coming down darker because you're almost, you know, adding back in what you've taken away. Yes. So it took a while to to really work on those glazes. But each colour has its own glaze. So, for example, with t- sun-worn terracotta, there's a terracotta haze. And with sienna, there's a sienna haze. So... I I love what you're speak you know talking about because that's how I communicate color. I would never say I'd love to put some seven four three on your hair. <laughs> I've I've always made up names for color. Right. Always, you know, even when they weren't there. Now I spend two days naming them. So it's important to me that the whole of my palette was named in a way that seduced you to wanting it. Absolutely, and I think seduction is part of what we do, isn't it? How. Would you advise somebody who wasn't surrounded by it as much as you are or, and have all these influences going on and that didn't particularly want to be a trend forecaster but wanted to stay current? How would you advise them to see what's going on? What, what would you recommend to look at, to look for? I think what can be um, extremely simple is to take the time to go to the high street and, you know, with perhaps I always find it's good to go with a whole group. So I would, you know, perhaps take my team out for a couple of hours and get them to open a conversation about it. Because what's interesting, the more you look at places like Zara, is if a colour is working well, they will often move that to a very prominent part of the store. And also, if it's selling well, they will then bring out many things in that tone. And sometimes you don't notice this when you're running in lunch hour to pick up a dress to wear on a Friday night. You don't notice that. But if you spend two hours with people walking around and getting to really look at it. And also, I look at homeware in a big way as well. So you might then take them into Habitat or 
John Lewis, you know, all, all those kind of things because these – and then you buy the magazines and you tear out all of the campaigns. Right. And you start aligning things and anyone can do this. And that's what I love about what you're just saying. It's like it doesn't cost you anything. It just te- it's a team-building exercise as well. Um, and it's really commercial and really speaks to every salon everywhere that's looking after clients. It's definitely something that everyone can do. It's interesting when I take people through it because they immediately say, gosh, now I can see it everywhere. So imagine if you take everyone out for the afternoon and you ask them what they see. And it's good to have their viewpoint as well because you might have a 40-year-old that says something different from a 20-year-old. Yes. And then come back and put all of that together. And then excite the clients with it so then start putting it on mood boards which is how I work on huge mood boards Mm. so I'm talking like a one card which I buy in these packs from Amazon which are super cheap and I buy them from Amazon I do them in front of like the team and then I leave them around you know that might be around the back of the salon and get that to digest and go into someone's pattern and then ask them two weeks later now you've seen it, what would you design around that? And that's when the magic happens. Right. It's about not trying to force it all at one point. Um, but I love the team building exercise thing. And I love the fact that it doesn't cost anything. Um, for small businesses, of course, it's, it's really difficult. Money's always tight, isn't it? Um, so it's a great way for them to sort of engage and stay super modern. Love that. Thank you very much. So any other advice, Zoe, on how trends can be done in salon for very little cost, team building, um, and a a discovery tool for the team? The most fun is formulating colours together. So the whole team kind of sit around, I would probably be at a table, with virgin hair, which so hair, little tiny hair swatches that I bought mine from Banbury Pastiche. And perhaps from a level four going upwards. I actually think you can get them at pivot points as well. Oh, the can little you? small ones. They're just very sm- I'm holding my finger up showing you the size, and of course nobody can see that because it's a <laughs> podcast. They're, but, um, yeah. they're perhaps about six or seven centimetres, I would yes. say. And you you put all of your inspiration images around you, and then you formulate the colour all together. So one person, you know, I did this when I was looking for all of my colours and it's so much fun. It's from a technical point of view, it's amazing because you're really learning how to formulate, you know, different red tones and different copper tones on bases. But then you get everybody to name them and, you know, they come up with their names and you all start to play with the names together. And so imagine that the whole salon formulates their own colour collection you what drives it is the passion the fact that everyone's involved the fact that when they speak about it you know what does the client even think of the salon for doing that it's incredible as a brand to go to absolutely and the other thing that of course they can do is that they can photograph it all they can video it all and they can use that content for their instagram which we'll talk about later Absolutely, for stories, which is really important. Mm-hmm. I think it's in, you know, it's it's about showing all these different things you do. What I think that's really interesting about this conversation today with you is it's showcasing little salons, small salons, small teams that they too can be creative, look at trends, be on the ball, be at the front of it, 
at no extra real cost to them. It's very small cost. The cost is time and energy and commitment, which if you're going to be successful, and success is measured by many different things, I'm not going to say what is successful, what isn't, but if you're going to want to feel successful, you need to be in the game, don't you? You spend the most amount of work at hours at work and I just think it's about every hairdresser enjoying that yes and essentially didn't we go into this for creativity and so it's it's embracing and creating more creativity and that makes a happy workplace which I think is the most important out of everything the most important isn't it because the success comes when everyone's happy exactly Love it or hate it, Instagram is a massive part of our industry now. And it's a game changer in so many ways. It has leveled the playing field, I think, for a lot of lot of hairdressers. Um, but it frightens a lot of people too. Love it or hate it? Both. Both. Sometimes I adore it. And sometimes it's terrible for me. What do you love about Instagram? Emotionally. Well, that's that's definitely something to talk about. So what do you love about Insta? I love looking at other people's feeds and learning things that I perhaps don't, you know, I learn new things. I go on that trail. I end up Googling. It's that kind of thing where you look for five minutes and end up being there two hours. And when I think about what I've learned from it, um, I follow hashtags which I find inspirational. So when I put my feed on, you know, obviously I'm going to see certain cut hair, talking about hair colour, I'll see things from all over the world and that part I adore. I adore that too. It's been such a a great learning curve and I think that what we've seen is people become, you know, highly influential that are doing commercial work rather than the avant-garde, which has been quite fascinating. It's sort of a changing of the times, isn't it? And so many people can just tune in and see what they want and, and learn. Um, I think it's sort of fun, but I, I'm like you. There are times when I hate it. What do you hate about it? I think I dislike the fact that um, I might be valued on my numbers. Um, the fact that, you know, I'm just at 10,000. So it's, you know, I look look at other perhaps ambassadors or people that do many of the roles that I do and they may be on 90 or I mean gosh the other day was somebody that was on 550,000 it's ridiculous which was insane you know um and so I think it's just been my own personal worry that you know do I feel enough you know, do I don't have enough people following me? I think that everybody worries about that because it becomes a numbers game, doesn't it? We suddenly get defined by likes, impressions, followers. Absolutely. And that's pressure from product companies. And obviously this podcast isn't supported by any product companies. So we're not going to slate anyone in that. But the pressure from them for people to do well, when I think what Instagram's done is it's, turn that around and it allows people to have a voice without a product company and what they choose to do with that voice is entirely up to them so for me you know two years ago I changed my whole feed because it was just like what am I actually doing here and does it speak to me does it does it represent me not all of me but you know the the mainly the the industry man the the balayage guy the the whatever the hairdresser um 
And so I changed it all and found that it just did so much better for me in that way. And I started really giving out education free um, and talking about ways in which people can improve their skills. What does your feed say about you? That put you on the spot there, didn't it, really? It sure did. I have been told that what it says about me is, like, the things that are going through my mind. Yeah. That might be girls that are laying in dried grass in 70s jeans. Um, I'm a massive fan of finding beautiful art images of flowers and then matching those to hair colour. Yes. But I've also done that for, like, the Nike trainer of the year. And I think it feels like quite fun, I've been told. Um, But it's definitely all over the place. But then so is my mind, I think. So maybe it is like looking into where my particular thoughts are at that time. I love your feed because it's it's pretty, but it's not necessarily pretty hair it's it's emotional and it's colorful and there is just some lovely images on there so it's it's really enjoyable to look at um it's fascinating instagram how do you feel about photographing clients hair in the salon after you've done them befores and afters things like that I photograph my clients' hair for them. Yeah. I love that idea that I have that ability to give them uh, a really good photograph of themselves. I mean, really, I don't know many of my clients that have got a ring light in their lounge. Some may do. Except for um, me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I love the fact that I, when I take a photograph of my client, actually it's for them. Right. And I do do it. I do it a lot. I love to give them that kind of supermodel moment because I get the dries on, I blow their hair. That makes a big difference, like blowing the hair. And so I do do it, definitely. Do I use those on my own feed? It depends what my particular thought process is at the time. Mm. I really love the kind of moving apps. Like I love... At the moment, I'm using Visco. There's there's something called Disco on Visco, which is a, a video part of it. And, yeah. and I love the fact that it gives a different tone um, and it kind of instantly makes everything look cool, I think. Which so, is very much your vibe, isn't it? You have which, I, cool which, which I like, yeah. yeah. And so for that, um, it wouldn't particularly work for me to, to photograph all of my clients, but then that's because... Predominantly, I'm designing education for different brands and designing palettes. And so I think as a trend, you know, for Weller, I'm the trend expert. So I want it to be that when somebody looks on my page, they can see that. And feel it. Yeah. So it's all to do with what you are personally. And, And for me, you need to look at it and think, gosh, I never knew that about that Nike trainer or... You know, it's the conversations I want to have. And so doing, having all of my clients on there wouldn't work for me. No, but I think you're right. And I think that that would feel strange to me if I went onto your feed and saw all of that. But if we're talking um, and helping other commercial hairdressers and, and ways in which they can improve photographs, of course, you have this massive body of work that you've done for brands um, and that you've done on your own. Um, of fantastic stuff. So you understand lighting 
and movement and you definitely have a feel about your your girls always have a feel I think your images they're always soft and really pretty what what advice could you give offer up to people they're in the salon they're super busy so it's always hard to get that picture Um, and some salons don't have the space and some salons don't build in the time to do that so or they're not allowed to you know there's all sorts of strange things going on so it's a rushed picture but from what you're saying is when you take these pics you dedicate some time to it what does that look like could you give us some tips I feel like it needs to be taken really seriously so I you know with what you were just saying I I was lucky enough to spend some time in Australia with the most incredible hairdresser Natalie Ann, who had a whole room of ring lights and makeup and everything. And I saw how... For Instagram. Yeah, she had completely changed her business from it. Yes. And so I think that you, you know, I've just started working with John Frieda Salons and... But congratulations, by the way, on that. Fantastic. (laughs) A lovely collaboration there. And we have very much, like, identified, you know, I'm spending days now shooting with all of the assistants and showing them from that really young age how to shoot and how to work the ring light and all set I mean I now use several ring lights so I don't just use one and so you know me walking into a new salon we have found which wall and we have talked about their Instagram because it doesn't work if you've got to get it the ring light out you know, you haven't got much time. With the way, how do I do it with my clients? So is going to just drag you back a little bit because you've got two ring lights. Now, I struggle with one. Yeah. You know, I don't, sometimes I'm like, do I want a ring light? Do I not? You've got two going on. It's like, what does that look like? Where really, are they? just looks really pretty. I have one towards the background. I like, yeah. I don't like, I like lighting the background because um, otherwise it might feel too dark. And I like this. It's because I come from a photographic well, exactly. place. Um, I also may play with using natural light. So it's finding an area in the salon where I've got good natural light. So yeah. I don't just shoot with ring light. Um, I've now bought these other lights, which are for shooting video, which weren't expensive. They were just they're kind of square lights, which work better because they're not as big as a ring light. Um, it's about taking it seriously. And now you can buy everything very easily. Yes, you can. I mean, the number of times we've gone through Amazon looking for things, it's it's quite funny, isn't it? It is funny, but also those tools can take you to a really different place. Like recently, both you and I bought this tiny little ring light that goes in front of you and you yes. put your phone on yeah, it. Yeah, with the tripod, yeah. Absolutely, the little tripod one, which also the most important thing about that I've realised is my clients feel good with it. Like I'm lighting her to look good. So if I want to do some footage of me putting the foils in or, you know, painting or anything, she feels comfortable, which, yeah, it's really important. It has those um, filters on it too, doesn't it? So it's got like a softer one as well. So it's not just that harsh light on it. Really cool to have a look around those things. So you've set this up and you've got two lights going on and you're looking for the light and you're training the assistants to... To take pictures. Yeah. What are you what are you asking them to look for? I think I'm developing their eye, first of all. Yeah. On to because when you 
blow dry somebody's hair and then you put it in front of a light and you know shoot it with your phone it can often look very different and I'm trying to train them as they're learning their blow dry and their color I'm trying to train them for that because you know let's be really honest we're at a time when clients are taking a huge amount of pictures of themselves so your hair color is going to go straight to a Friday night or straight to that coffee morning and what are they going to do they're all going to take a photo her and her friends they're like hey we're having matcha lattes let's take a photo so you're at a time that we didn't hit in the 80s and 90s and so in order to make that work you have to teach it from assistant level on what that looks like Um, because she's going to be doing that. Your client's going to be treating herself, you know, as if she is taking a photo. She's taking a photo of herself immediately. Right. So everything you do has to be ready for that. I call it your selfie self that people are obsessed with around the face. Yes. That's why I blow dry the face first, all those things. I love that because you actually blow dry the face first so that it relaxes the client Mm -hmm. so that she's not looking at herself, looking scruffy and wet and damp and at her worst you blow dry it first so that she sees that and then she can relax into herself, isn't it? And from a colour perspective, I want to blow out those like lighter pieces around her face. So she's sitting there and she's not thinking, gosh, how did that balayage turn out? She can yeah, see it. She can see it and feel it. So I teach it immediately. It's the first thing that I'm doing as part of my new role at John Frieders. And I'm teaching light. I'm teaching wind, like how to use a hairdryer, where to... You know, everyone loves a fantastic photo of themselves. Yes. So if your client gets that as well as amazing balayage, then she loves you. So do you like to give clients the phone and say, take a selfie with it in in this lit area? Or are you you controlling it a little bit more? How are you working that? And you also said, sorry, so many questions for you today. But you also said that you liked movement. So do you think video works better than photo I do both. You do both. I do both yeah. very quickly. I move through three different apps. I use, I go on to Instagram stories and use that gorgeous filter. It's kind of purple with stars. I use that one all the time. Yeah. You introduced me to it. Yeah. yeah. So I put that on. Like I make the client feel fabulous. Yes. And I shoot it all myself and then airdrop it to them straight away. Wow. So I do that within like 10 minutes and that is a really good advert for an appointment with me. Like that is to me doing that is like when I grew up in hair, we used to have this thing that you send every client away with six cards, six little business cards with a rubber band around. And she put it in her handbag because it was kind of noted that everyone would talk about their new color six times. So when she was in the supermarket, they'd give a card. I feel that this image for me is my modern day business card. Well, it is, isn't it? I mean, that's what Instagram is. Instagram is your business card. Love it but or it's hate how it. she looks, yeah, isn't it? It's about it's about the client, obviously. But, so um, she immediately posts a picture, even on you know onto Facebook, onto Instagram, or even shows sends it to her husband or what have you. It raises the level of excitement. So that to me is just as important as the colour appointment. That's brilliant. That's so clever. And thank you so much for sharing that little bit of insight because I think that's really helpful to people. But I don't know how you do that in 10 minutes. Is it practice? Or is yeah, it just you're so good with the camera? It's the fact that I know which apps yeah. and it's the fact that I would have practised it a lot. Yeah. So I know exactly where to hold the hairdryer. I know exactly what setting I like. Yes. So it's about what I call model nights. It's about prepping. And research. 
and the team knowing it as well. So, for example, if I am busy, then I could hand that to an assistant and they could do the same thing. And I think that's what a lot of people are doing as well, aren't they? They've they've got assistants that know what they are looking for. So for salon groups, if your assistant understands your brand, they can start capturing those moments as well for you. Absolutely. That's brilliant, Zoe. Thank you. I forgot to say to you, Zoe, that I wanted to congratulate you on your Icon nomination again. And maybe by the time this goes out, we'll have some great news on that. How does that feel? It feels really exciting. Yeah. Um, it f- was a surprise. It feels very special because I'm uh, at John Frieda and Nicola Clark was also nominated. I know. So it feels really special. I think we're the first salon that's ever had two nominations. So it's... Super exciting, and it's this kind of thing that really drives you. So, thank you. It's fantastic, and congratulations to Nicola, of course, for her nomination. She's my colour girl crush as well. Even She's my colour girl. Her. She's my colour girl crush. That was a hint there. I've not met her, <laughs> <laughs> but no, brilliant. Well done. What's your Instagram handle? My Instagram is at Zoe Irwin Hair. Say that again for me. At Zoe Irwin Hair. So if you follow Zoe, you will be inspired by all that creative genius that goes on in there. So take a look. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcast from. iTunes is my favorite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Color, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolor, C-O-L-O-R.com. 